I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. October is a busy month. Uh, We had the canonization of uh, St. John Henry Newman this last week. Of course, we talked about that with Dr. Bud Marr at the beginning of the month. Um, we, it's the month of the rosary. We've not gotten a chance to talk about that yet, but that is going to be coming up. Uh, we're just pushing it into November. Uh, I want to talk about that. Uh, but it's also respect life month. And this is the time that the church in the United States takes the time to focus our attention specifically on those issues that touch on human dignity. Uh, we look at and, and spend some time reflecting on and catechizing ourselves on the issues of abortion, euthanasia, end-of-life issues, even into uh, medical ethics, bioethics, infertility, uh, and the treatments thereof, and all of these various and sundry items that deal with uh, how we can behave in such a way that takes into account uh, who we are as human beings and acts in a way that respects uh, the life that has been given to us. And so uh, we typically, around this time of the year, we have interviews dealing with that. We talk about abortion. We talk, uh, we've talk. we talked with Dr. Charlie Camosi. We're going to have him on again next week. Uh, we've talked with the guys from 40 Days for Life, which I just uh, I love that organization. If you've not had the time to, to uh, look into a, a vigil in your area this year, uh, I want you to go over to 40daysforlife.org and see who's in your area. Sign up and go out and pray. You know, this is the time that we we take to really remind ourselves uh, about these important issues. Something that my parish is doing this year in our bulletin, uh, we're putting in resources, flyers, uh, each week of the month of October, specifically taking on one of these issues and uh, giving a little bit of catechesis with some footnotes. And, you know, there's only so many things that uh, your priest can preach on in a given year. Right? There's only so many Sundays that he has available to him. And his job in the homily is specifically to unpack for us the gospel, the gospel reading of that day. And so there's a lot of other things that really aren't going to make their way into the homily, but we ought to have another place uh, to be able to provide some of that catechesis. And so for us, one of the ways that we do that at my parish is in the bulletin. Uh, so we've got that. We have the little flyers that are handed out full color. It's all pretty and nice and neat. Uh, and and that's just a resource. And, of course, we get those resources from the, the USCCB. Uh, they have a number of years back, uh, multiple years archived, of that kind of flyer, which, of course, you can order, but you can also download for free. So if you go to US, Google this, usccb.org, and then Respect Life. Right. So uh, Google that phrase. It's going to bring you to a website and then you can go back. I think it's four or five years worth of uh, of resources that they have there that uh, if your parish didn't put them in your hands, go and take the time uh, to download them and read over them and spend some time yourself reflecting on this really important center of our faith, because the, the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. This loving your neighbor 
is specifically what we're talking about as we talk about respect life. How do we love our neighbor? That's the implications that we're trying to dig into. Uh, what does it mean for us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? Well, so the first thing that we have to look at, and it's what we're going to talk about today a little bit, is the foundational question around what it means to respect life. And the most foundational question that we can have in this discussion is what makes life worthy of respect, right? I used to think as I grew up Protestant and I used to think that uh, the reason that abortion was wrong is because it was the taking of an innocent life, right? And so the, the innocence was the, the kind of the key factor that made that, that life worth respecting. And, uh, and as I have been challenged by the Catholic faith, I've come to a, a different place now. And now as I look at this, this question of who is worthy of respect, and all throughout the New Testament, and specifically even in the Gospels, Christ is really uh, challenging the, the religious people of the day. He's challenging the, the preconceptions of who is worthy of respect in, in terms of who it was that he went and healed and, and where it was that he walked and who he talked to, right? Uh, the, the story we had in the Gospels last week was the, the lepers who were cleansed, and only one returned, and that person was a Samaritan. Right? And then you have the woman at the well, and you have all of these different uh, people who society would say and they would look at and say, this person is outside of the bounds of, of who really is worthy of respect. And that person would be somehow dehumanized or lessened in their, uh, in their worthiness to some capacity or another. And so society would look at them and kind of dismiss them. And we have those people that are around us all the time. Uh, for some people, the unborn would fall into that category, and the church is very vigorous in her defense of the unborn. But in a similar way, there are those who are immigrants or those who are poor or those who are outcast on the fringes of society that society would look at and say, you don't rise to the level of being worthy of respect, and the church pushes back on that and says, no, a person is worthy not because of their innocence or because of their... Um, somehow their holiness or their righteousness. Rather, a person is worthy of respect. Humanity is worthy of respect simply by virtue that they've been made in the image of God, that they are loved by their creator, and that Christ himself came to redeem them and reconcile them back to the Father. And this is a high bar for us to be able to see in every human being the image and the reflection and the love of their creator. Today we're going to be talking with Charles Beard. He's a deacon candidate for the Diocese of Tulsa. He's also a member of the Blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker Community. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to recognize and to respect the dignity of the human person. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I want to hear your thoughts. There's much more to come right after this as you're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. 
And today we're talking with uh, our many-time guest, friend of ours, Charles Beard, uh, recently installed as an acolyte and still a deacon candidate for the Diocese of Tulsa. He's also a member of the Blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker Community, and that's the context in which we'll be speaking with him today. Uh, it's Respect Life Month, uh, and we're going to be spending a couple of weeks talking about the implications of our uh, our view of the dignity of the human person based on the fact that a person is made in the image and the likeness of God and what that entails for our uh, our action, the way that we treat people, uh, both in, you know, in traffic, but also in, in larger, uh, larger realms of, uh, of policymaking. So Charles, thanks for joining us in the show today. It's great to be back with you, Timothy. So Charles, kind of the direction I want to go today, the, the church has this view of the dignity of the human person, uh, that basically revolves around who we are as human beings and what it means to be human and what it means uh, to be human in light of our relationship to the Creator. But it seems to me that uh, the, the implications of how we treat one another, specifically in the larger uh, national realm, seems to have been co-opted by political parties. And so so often when we come into these discussions, um, automatically people will read these conversations through the lens of politics. And so I want you to just take a moment um, and talk a little bit about that, that core issue of human dignity, uh, and maybe even as Christ presents it to us. And that'll give us the framework and the basis for our conversation today. Sure. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you, that you talk about how we, we tend to approach these things you know, in the realm of, of politics. And we use the word politics, I think, to basically mean tribalism. Uh, if I use certain buzzwords, you will then uh, assume and, and perhaps know my views on all sorts of other things, and then make a judgment on me based on that. You know, I am one of you, or I am one of them. Um, and then for a variety of reasons at this particular moment in history, that happens to be the red tribe or the blue tribe. And that's uh, antithetical, I think, to, uh, to the way Christ approaches things. Um, you know, our identity as human beings is founded, I think, St. Ignatius said it best, uh, we are sinners loved by God, because we're all in that same boat, sinners loved uh, undeservedly by the Creator. We then can't divide ourselves up into these smaller groups. Um, those those divisions—I uh, shouldn't say divisions—those distinctions exist, obviously. You know, my, my experiences are going to be based on my history, which will be based on where I'm from and who my parents are and— um, cultural history and language and all of that sort of thing. That I don't want to, to minimize that. But when you take, take everything and divide it up into us, them, Republican or Democrat, in this case, um, liberal or conservative, uh, then you've kind of done violence to the vision that uh, the church presents to us as what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And, and let's just full disclosure, uh, when you and I first met, I, I very much viewed our relationship through those lenses of, oh, well, here are the places that I vehemently disagree with Charles. <laughs> and and it was through taking a step. There was a fair amount of that both ways. Yeah, yeah, I, I was not guiltless in that. But there, there was something about um, putting those things aside and, and for our sake, being forced to sit in the same room together and 
right. have conversations and wrestle with it, as Scripture talks about, uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one of you sharpens another. Um, it was in the midst of bumping up against one another for prolonged periods of conversation that uh, I began to see beyond those sharp distinctions that I had created that were really false dichotomies. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you describe our friendship that way. Uh, I, I think it helped that at a, at a basic level, you and I liked each other. And so even when, we, even when one of us was saying something wrong, uh, wrong in the sense of not tribally approved. Right. We we had to then kind of assess that fact in light of the fact. Wait, this is actually a decent human being. Uh, how could this decent human being have these thoroughly non-decent <laughs> opinions? Um, and uh, both of us were able to kind of move move past those tribal distinctions a little bit a little bit better. You know, it. it uh, it helped me a lot more than it helped you, Timothy. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. There's this. Uh, there's this. Musician. I needed more help. So, there's a musician by the name of of Dave Wilcox, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not recommending him necessarily, but he has this song, and at the beginning of it, he's doing this little monologue, and he says, "You know, I know they can't believe it. They're just saying it to tick me off." And then after a while, <laughs> after a while, you say, "Maybe they do believe it, but how?" <laughs> right. I feel like that was kind of the progression of of that relationship. <laughs> But I think it's so important and, and really essential for us in terms of looking at how we relate to one another and the, the ways that society is ordered to care for one another, that we take that time to, to view people beyond the confines of, of our initial categorization, right? That we step back and we say, I'm going to allow myself to like this person or to continue and persist in conversation with someone despite the fact that I disagree with them. Um, one right. of the things that we have with the polarization of our politics these days, and, and as you said, both red and blue and the concept of conservative and liberal, which bleeds into uh, how people uh, decide theology somehow fits into conservative or liberal. Uh, w- when you get there and you view everything through that, it really prevents you from viewing the other person as person. And this is getting to the core of our conversation today, because now I can uh, I can put them over in this category. I can make them other. And if I make them other in a, some small way, I can lessen their right to be heard or lessen their right to uh, to a certain kind of treatment because, oh, well, they're they're these people over there. Right. And, you, and they, that's done in part to to uh, encourage accountability. You know, if you're if you're doing something wrong, saying something wrong, the the natural human response, I think, is to shame, to exclude. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, the 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 rejoinder to the conversation that you and I are having is, well, would you give a platform to a Nazi or mm-hmm. a communist if you're going to use the opposite example? Um, and 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 that's that's a really good critique. Um, but you can't hold somebody accountable when you have excluded them. You can't you can't go before that person and say you have done wrong if you have consigned them over there. What you're going to do is make them harder in, in their own viewpoint. Uh, it is it is it is remaining in a relationship and acknowledging that human dignity that encourages uh, that encourages us to hold someone accountable when they need to be held accountable. 
So let's talk about that in light. That's of, my disclaimer. <laughs> let's talk about that in light of Servant of God Dorothy Day, uh, because she interacted. Uh, and of course, a lot of people they hear hear that name, and that for them is a buzzword that puts it in the category. And yet, she really defies categorization as well. So let's talk about the way that she approached people who disagreed with her and the kinds of people that she embraced in that first Catholic worker house. Uh, she was, um, was really unusual for her time in that she kind of came out of this left-wing communist uh, context, right? Um, she, was a, she was a former member of the IWW, which at the time was a, it still exists technically, but it was at the time a very large uh, left-wing union. Um, uh, and so she did not like, if you, if you want to say it like that, um, those who were in her view, you know, plundering the working class. Um, but after her conversion and gradually over a long period of time, and this certainly didn't happen overnight, Dorothy was able to cry out against the injustices that were being done to the working class, uh, without, at least as far as I can tell, personalizing it as someone who has, you know, it's your fault. Um, because every time she said, it's your fault, she knew that she was also accusing herself. You know, I participate in these systems that I view as unjust every bit as much as you are. Mm-hmm. You're just benefiting more from it than I am. Um, so she knew that she, that she couldn't accuse somebody else without accusing herself and was thus able to still see injustice without losing sight of the fact that even the the plutocrat is like her, a sinner loved by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this came, I think partly, um, from the, you know, from the fact that she, she herself before her conversion, um, had an abortion. And so she couldn't, uh, speak against abortion in the sense, you know, or speak against abortionists without then accusing herself. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she repented, she, she, she made amends. Um, and was a, a, a big time pro-life person. Right. Um, but she, how do I want to say this? Uh, her, her, her activism was always personal at the level of the victim, never personal at the level of the perpetrator. Hmm. And so in doing this, uh, and, and I think it's important to point out that all of us, have a certain place that we exist that's outside, as you said, uh, with uh, with Ignatius, a sinner loved by God. We have a place that exists outside of where God wants us to be, and that is the point of conversion. Uh, in fact, uh, Paul, right. Paul lists off these lists of people who, quote, will not receive the kingdom of God, and he goes through all of these things that would be seen as heinous sins, and then he said, oh, but don't forget, that's who you were before your conversion. And so I think that we have to look at that as well and, and look at uh, Dorothy Day and, and in her specific instances of sin. They might look like something very extreme to us. Uh, but again, you and I have our own places that we have to submit to conversion, to, uh, to redemption and reconciliation with God. And so here as we, as we see that, we all have to move away from our own weaknesses and closer into uh, the will of God for our lives, because that is where our dignity ultimately it's, it re- resides. It's the origin of our dignity. It's also the destination of our dignity, uh, because we were created by God, for God, and in God's image. 
It, that that passage from St. Paul, it, it, even that, that is what you were. We kind of blow right by that, and, and we don't think about how how crazy that transformation is. If 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 I have killed somebody, I, I am a murderer. There's no way I can unkill that person. Right. I will always be a murderer. And yet Paul is able to say, "You were a murderer, and you no longer are." Uh, that's the that that point of transformation where you. Stop being what you were, where God changes you into something that you are not, or were not, and are now. Um, that that acknowledgement forces us to to confront the idea that we can't we we can't write off anybody because God has not written us off. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, it it we can't write off anybody because. God may have that for them, right? It's not just that we can look at someone who is repented and say, oh, well, I'll bestow dignity on you now because you have accepted Christ and his forgiveness. We have to look at the person who's right in the middle of that sin and say, God has a different ending for your story than the place that you are right now. We're talking today with Charles Beard, uh, a deacon candidate for the Diocese of Tulsa and member of the Blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker Community. We're going to come back and continue this conversation about human dignity and the identity that we bear merely by being human. Join us over on social media. Be a part of that conversation. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we're talking today about we're in the middle of uh, Respect Life Month. And of course, we typically think about uh, abortion when we think about Respect Life. Uh, You've got the 40 Days for Life campaigns that are going on right now. Uh, You can go to 40daysforlife.org and find the one that's in your area uh, and uh, and sign up for an hour of prayer to stand out and be a public witness and to pray for those who are facing difficult decisions. Uh, there's uh, we've had these kinds of conversations. We've talked about adoption, uh, fostering, uh, uh, abortion, and more here on the program. You can find those on the archive over at outsidethewalls.com. Uh, but today I wanted to focus a little bit on that foundational issue. Uh, all of these things matter because of the intrinsic dignity of the human person, the fact that we are worth something simply because God made us and loved us uh, and that everyone falls within that. You know, as the statement is often made, uh, we are human beings, not human doings. And what we are and our value comes simply from our existence, from our being, and not from the things that we do or don't do. Uh, we're talking today with uh, my friend and a uh, many-time guest here, Charles Beard. Uh, he's an installed acolyte for the Diocese of Tulsa, as well as a deacon candidate for the very same, uh, and a member of the Blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker Community. Charles, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Timothy. So I remember when all of this was first getting started up and you were doing um, uh, meals. You would go out and take meals to people at a specific location. Uh, and one of the mm-hmm. things I love about just that idea uh, and the the work that you do with the Catholic worker community is that you're not trying to fix everything. 
You're saying, I'm going to do what I can in this specific situation, in this specific place for these specific people, not because they are any better than someone else, but simply because they are my neighbor. I'm right here and I can do this much. Uh, and so it doesn't right. get doesn't get overwhelmed with the enormity of the problem. It says, I'm going to be in a specific time, in a specific place, doing a specific thing for a specific people. Well, one of the most liberating aspects of this work um, is also one of the most difficult to remember. And it's uh, it's the, the realization that there is a savior of the world and it's not me. <laughs> um, so I don't have to do everything because I can't do everything, but more importantly, because God does not want me to do everything. I, he only wants me to do what I can, where I can. Um, now, hopefully, if, if we're doing good work, someone else is inspired, they do good work, and it, there's a knock-on effect uh, by the grace of God that changes a whole society in the world. Certainly, that's happened many times in the church's history. Uh, but but even, if that, even if that never, ever happens, we're just doing the work where God wants us to do it. Well, it's we'll been, trust him to, to take care of the rest. It's been very interesting to see this work evolve as well, because it started with uh, you just going out with a couple of people, then you got a trailer involved in it, and you were uh, doing quite a bit more capacity. And, and then somewhere along the way, you got a house, and you have this house specifically for, uh, for the care of those who otherwise would have no place to be. So talk a little bit about uh, the Craston House and what it is, uh, how people in specifically in the area of the Diocese of Tulsa can support it uh, and uh, and what the vision for it is. Sure. Uh, Craston House uh, was started almost two years ago. Um, the the our, our Catholic worker group has been around for uh, six or seven years at this point, but we've only been running Craston House for for a couple of these. Um, it is it is a a house in a neighborhood uh, for people who are either uh, in danger of falling into homelessness or trying to uh, climb out of homelessness. Um, and it's a it's a three bedroom house. Just just you know, it's a very you know it's a very boring place in itself, right? right. You know, it's got a kitchen, a bathroom, a living room, and uh, people can just stay there. Uh, the 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 length of time that someone can stay there varies. Uh, it's pretty. It's based on a, on individual needs and our our capacity at a certain point. Um, but normally, call it six months. Uh, someone can stay there. They can, you know, find a job or uh, or have you know save up some money, and then either move into a different program that might be a little bit more structured, or into their own place. Um, in the last two years, I guess. 22 months. We've had 26 people come through the house. Um, of those, see, we've got four there now, so probably 15 have moved into um, a better, more permanent situation. Hmm. And that's everything from, uh, you know, a very standard, I, you know, I was working, I saved up some money, I got an apartment, to my disability finally came in, I got the bank disability, got an apartment, or um, I, I got engaged and my father-in-law let me go work on his farm. So, you know, every story is a little bit different, um, but it's all beautiful. So getting back to this idea of the person's dignity, you know, so often uh, when, a, when a person is facing financial hardship, specifically if they're not part of, uh, of 
the parish community or they're not part of, you know, the, the acceptable uh, area of who we help as, uh, as an individual, uh, we tend to be either skeptical or uncertain about how to help or uh, uh, really just kind of uncomfortable with the situation. And so I'm curious how it is that, um, that you manage that. Uh, what have you found in terms of uh, maybe having done this for some time, you have an easier time seeing Christ in these people uh, so that it's less uncomfortable in the exchange. Well, how did you get to that place, and, and how, what would you recommend for uh, the rest of us in trying to see, as, as Christ said in uh, Matthew 25, trying to see Christ in the least of these? Part, part of it, most of it, is, is spiritual gift. I can't, it's not anything that I have done. Uh, some people have the spiritual gift of prophecy or tongues, um, or teaching or administration. If I have a spiritual gift, it's that I genuinely like the people who come to the house, um, even people whom we've had to ask to leave for this or that behavioral issue. There's never been anyone whom I've disliked, and and that's grace because you know some people are more likable than others just because that's the way it is. Um, uh, but I think on a more practical level, when I'm tempted to uh, to not see human dignity, um, it, it is my what I do is I take a step back and I say, okay, what is this person trying to communicate when they do X that I find annoying or is disruptive? And normally, I, I can answer that question by saying, well, there's an addiction or a mental illness that prevents them from communicating effectively, um, or just as commonly, no one has ever heard me before unless I am doing this. And so if I can just take a step back and see what is this person communicating, um, I, I, can, I can then remain calm and, uh, and approachable and handle situations in a more loving way. Uh, Father Greg Boyle, the, uh, the Jesuit who runs Homeboy Industries, uh, he was asked in an interview once, um, what he does is he um, takes former gang members and puts them to work uh, making uh, various things in uh, in Los Angeles. I believe it's Los Angeles. Uh, and so he was asked, well, in a normal business, you have to fire people sometimes. So what is it? So like, how do you, how do you love somebody even when you fire them, especially when you know they might have done something really terrible in their past? You know, he says, well, I try to look at what, what are you communicating when you no show at work? Um, and what you're communicating is you are not, re- I am not ready to be here. And so then if you, have to, if you have to discipline somebody or set a boundary or manage an expectation, uh, it, it's no longer coming from a place of hate or frustration or anger, but honoring what the person is communicating. And that's, a, that's an important distinction, I think. Um, it's a subtle distinction, but it's important in remembering where Christ is present, even when you're having to deal with a difficult situation. Well, and it's an important distinction because it affects how we approach that situation were that person ever to reapproach us. Uh, because if right. I if I uh, am frustrated with you and I think, well, you're kind of no good for, for anybody and I write you off, then there's no room for that reconnection. And so let, let's take this to a biblical direction. I'm thinking specifically of Paul and the, the gospel writer, Mark, who uh, they had a falling out and... Paul was 
really kind of miffed at Mark for leaving them at a specific location. And then, uh, and he expressed that. And then later in a letter, he talks about how, uh, how important Mark was to him. And, and this is all about, uh, like, like you said, leaving those even difficult places in relationship with the door wide open. Exactly. Exactly. And, and we've, you know, in our work, uh, I guess on two occasions, uh, we either asked somebody to leave or somebody was ready to leave and they got at their own place. And then later we found out they weren't in fact ready to leave and they'll come back. And that, that happens sometimes. And you have to evaluate each situation on its own and on our capacity and things like that. But we don't, you know, um, because God hasn't written us off, we can't automatically write someone else off. Well, here's the thing. And you didn't ask for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, this, this kind of work takes the resources of the community, uh, and you have been just a really faithful steward with the things that have been given to you. Someone's hearing this and they want to support the work that you're doing. How would they go about doing that? Uh, oh, I really appreciate you saying that, Timothy. Um, they can go to srcw.org. So Stanley wrote their Catholic worker, srcw.org. Um, and there they can make a donation. They can make a one-time donation, or they can make what would be really great are monthly donations. At the moment, uh, Catholic Worker in Tulsa is raising about 85% of what it needs each month to sustain itself in the long term. Um, it is almost entirely self-funded. Uh, there are probably 10 or 12 uh, members of the Catholic Worker and the house is sustained out of our own resources. Okay. We get uh, we get some money from the Church of St. Mary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Shout out to my own parish, Church of St. Mary. Um, but for the most part, again, it's, it's self-funded. So we would really love it if uh, we could get 10 people to donate $25 per month. Um, that would be an extra $250 a month for us. That would get us a lot closer to going over the top and uh, becoming something that can exist in Tulsa for many years to come. Yeah. Now, there's someone out here who can who can do even more than that if you want to give a one-time gift and help support this work. Uh, it's important work because, uh, first and foremost, it not only gives people a place to stay, but it lets them see specifically how it is that God views them because the people who they're interacting with are showing them uh, mercy and kindness and love uh, in all situations, this is a, a, something that I think is so important for us to do as we're looking at Respect Life Month. I want you to take some time and pray about that, how you might be able to assist, and then go over to srcw.org and make that donation today. We've been talking today with Charles Beard, deacon candidate for the Diocese of Tulsa and member of the Blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker Community. They're doing great work, and I hope that you'll support them prayerfully. When we come back, we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of Luke and with a homily by St. Caesarius of Arles. Join us over on social media for the ongoing conversation, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. If you have a story of how you've encountered Christ through service, I want to hear about it. There's much more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L.,
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Today, we talk with Charles Beard, who is a deacon candidate for the Diocese of Tulsa, very close to ordination, God willing. Uh, he also serves with the uh, the Stanley Rother, blessed Stanley Rother Catholic Worker Community. Uh, you can find out more about them over at www.srcw.org. That's Stanley Rother Catholic Worker, srcw.org. Uh, take a look at the good work that they're doing. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. I'd love for you to go back and take a look at it, share it on social media, let people know that it's there, specifically if it really struck a chord with you today. And if you just can't get enough, well, I've got good news for you. Uh, There's more to my conversation with Charles that is available to all those who support the show through Patreon. We have a great community of people who ensure that we're able to keep this show on the air And uh, it's really simple to do. All you do is, while you're there looking at the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com, go to the very top right-hand corner of the page, and you'll see something that says, Support the Show, hyphen, Patreon. If you click that link, it'll take you to a page where you will see a plethora of content that is available to you for as little as $5 a month. That's right. For as little as one cup of really good coffee for a month, you get weekly extra segments. Uh, So take a look at that if that's something that you want to be involved with and get that extra segment from this week and every week that's preceded it as well. Now, I had a lot of fun this week because Charles and I have known each other for a very long time. And uh, this topic today is a topic that we have argued about for for some time. And somehow uh, we've ended up on almost probably almost the very same page, but it took a lot of time and a lot of conversation and a lot of recognizing the dignity of the person we were disagreeing with. You know, it's one thing to talk about uh, the, the respecting the, the poorest and the least among us, right? It's one thing to talk about uh, the unborn or even the immigrant or even the homeless and the outcast. It's another thing entirely to talk about the dignity of that person who's sitting across from you, making you angry with the things that they're saying. Uh, But somehow, by the grace of God, Charles and I persisted in those conversations to a place where both of us have really uh, benefited from those conversations. And I I have to say, I've been changed for, uh, for the better by those conversations with Charles. And I encourage you to find a time, find, if you, if you find a time where you are in a conversation that you just absolutely hate and you want to get out of, spend a little bit extra time in that conversation uh, and and really wrestle with the things that the other person is saying. Don't just, I used to listen just to respond, right? I'm thinking about what it is I'm going to say while that person's talking. And uh, and you miss so much when you do that. So I I encourage you to take some time and really kind of sit in that conversation and be comfortable with discomfort. Uh, because that's that's where growth happens. Well, let's take our time now with the Gospel of Luke and with a reading from St. Caesarius of Arles. You know, even in these readings of Scripture and in church history, we have that experience where sometimes these things make us uncomfortable, but it's as we sit with that discomfort that God, through the Holy Spirit, will beckon us and give us really the opportunity and the grace to change and to grow. 
Our gospel today comes from the Gospel of Luke, where we hear this. The Lord appointed 72 disciples, whom he sent ahead of him in pairs, to every town and place he intended to visit. He said to them, The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Go on your way. Behold, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals, and greet no one along the way. Into whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this household. If a peaceful person lives there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in the same house and eat and drink what is offered you, for the laborer deserves payment. Do not move about from one house to another. Whatever town you enter and they welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God is at hand for you. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. When I chose this scripture to read today, I really was planning on focusing on uh, the the giving our peace, right? Uh, offering our peace and having it rest on them or return to us. But as I was reading that today, what really stands out to me is this. Christ is intending to follow us, right? As he sends out the 72, he's sending them to the places that he's going to go. And so when we walk into a place and into a scenario or when we see someone uh, who needs help, do we really pay attention to the fact that Christ is going to be following us and we are the advance notice. We're the ones going out and announcing that Christ has come to redeem and restore. Now, as Christ sends out the 72, he lets them know that there are going to be people who will not welcome them. There are people who won't welcome the message and really don't want them around, and those people are likely not going to be welcoming to Christ either when he comes. But woe to us if the reason for their rejection of Christ comes because of us. Because we got flustered in a situation, we got upset and let our tempers get the best of us and made a poor reflection of who God is. We are to offer our peace as we go in. And yes, there are going to be people who press buttons to see if they can get us out of that peace, maybe for a self-fulfilling prophecy or some other reason they want to see if they can uh, preemptively reject, right? And yet, uh, if we maintain our peace and we offer our peace, then we will have faithfully reflected to them who Christ is. And really, we can only do this if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let that be our prayer. Lord, make us faithful witnesses of your love. Our reading from church history today comes from St. Caesarius of Arles. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is a beautiful word. More beautiful still is the thing itself. All men wish to receive it, but the worst thing is that not all of them behave in a way that deserves it. Although everyone wishes to be shown mercy, only a few wish to show it. Oh man, how can you have the effrontery to ask for what you refuse to give to others? You must show mercy in this world if you want to receive mercy in heaven. So, my dear brethren, since we all desire mercy, let us make ourselves mercy's slaves in this world, so that she can give us our freedom in the world to come. For there is mercy in heaven, and we come to it through earthly mercies. As Scripture says, Lord, your mercy is in heaven. 
So there is earthly and heavenly mercy that is human and divine. What is human mercy? Exactly this, to have care for the sufferings of the poor. What is divine mercy? Without doubt, to grant forgiveness of sins. Whatever human mercy gives away on the journey, divine mercy pays back when we arrive at last in our native land. For it is God who feels cold and hunger in the person of the poor. As he himself has said, as much as you have done for the least of these, you've done it for me. What God deigns to give on heaven, he yearns to receive on earth. What sort of people are we if we want to receive when God offers? But when God asks, we refuse to give. For when a poor man hungers, it is Christ who suffers want. As he himself said, I was hungry and you gave me no food. Do not despise the misery of the poor if you want a sure hope of forgiveness for your sins. Christ is hungry now, brethren, in all the poor. He consents to suffer hunger and thirst, and whatever he receives on earth, he will give back in heaven. I ask you, brethren, when you come to church, what do you want? What are you looking for? Is it anything other than mercy? Then give earthly mercy, and you will receive the heavenly kind. The poor man asks of you, and you ask of God. The poor man for food, and you for eternal life. Give to the beggar what you want to deserve from Christ. Hear Christ saying, Give it, and it will be given to you. And do not know how you can have the effrontery to want to receive what you do not want to give. And so, when you come to the church, give whatever you can afford as alms for the poor. That challenging homily comes from St. Cesarius of Arles. And on its face, specifically coming from my Protestant background, I, I can hear uh, people pointing at it and saying, well, that's work salvation. You're, you're expecting to buy your way into heaven. And I would say, well, no, because we fully expect that the only way that we can get into heaven is by Christ's mercy. And the only way we receive that mercy is through his redeeming work on the cross. And yet, he himself has said to us that whatever we do to the least of these, we've done to him. And there will be many on that day that will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we uh, see you in the streets and you were among us? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you, right? There is something about engaging with Christ in the poorest among us, in the least of these, that puts us in closer and deeper connection and relationship with him. So the works themselves are not like a ticket that get us into heaven. Rather, it is a way that we can come into direct contact with Christ here in this earth. That's all the time we have for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Drs. Michael and Julie Highland and all those who support the show through Patreon. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I'd love to have you in that discussion. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.